Welcome to the show. I'm Philip. On the HAN Show, we bring the haunt industry to you every weekday. We have news, education, and on-location coverage from Halloween experiences around the world. Whether you're a professional or enthusiast, each episode helps you better prepare for Halloween. Outside of this podcast, we have videos, education, and even events. Links to everything we do are in the show notes. On Mondays, we break down large trends from the news and discuss why it matters to you in our weekly Green Tagged series, co-hosted by Scott Swenson and myself. And check back tomorrow for our weekly haunt news roundup. Okay, here's this week's installment of Green Tagged Theme Park and 30. From our studios in sunny St. Louis and Abu Dhabi, this is Green Tag Theme Park and 30. And this week I am have nothing prepared because it is the week of Trans World, and it's kind of like Halloween week, and I'm barely alive. Hello. Yeah, it's funny because you know I uh, for those for those two or three of you who listen to my other podcast, A Scott in the Dark, I did a whole episode this past week on uh, on what I was missing about by not being there, and Philip is there, so um, I get to I get to sort of live vicariously and and chat with him about what went on and and uh, and what happened we were we were chatting a little bit before before the show about stuff and but I said no let's wait let's talk about it on the show so uh, so you obviously you're exhausted that is always the case uh, for trans world and for those of you who don't know what we're talking about where have you been uh, this is uh, the, the trans world Halloween and Christmas show is w- one of the largest if not the largest uh, Seasonal entertainment trade show takes place every year. It's a little earlier this year, um, and it has been for mm-hmm. several years. It has been in St. Louis, Missouri, at the convention center. And um, haunters and Christmasers and theme parkers and uh, escape rumors and all kinds of folks gather there, um, basically take over the city for the week and uh, do a lot of business. Uh, if it's like it normally is, drink a lot of alcohol and um, party an awful lot have an awful lot of fun, uh, reconnect with friends, and then disappear until the following year. Um, so, Philip, I just there's just a couple of questions that I, I want to start out with. And again, you can feel free to go and, and go off in any tangent you want. And, and since you are most likely sleep deprived, um, chances are good you will. And you know me, I'm, I'm always down for that. So if we, if we go chasing down a rabbit hole, we'll be fine. But my first question is, what have you noticed any major difference or challenges with the change in time of year? I mean, because normally this happens a couple months later, and this is the first time in a very long time that it's actually been back in February. What's Have you noticed any difference? Mm-hmm. And the answer may just be no, which would be really great podcasting on our part. But I'm just just really curious, um, is, has there been any, do you, have you noticed any difference uh, in the vendors, in the vibe, in whatever? So it normally is in March. And of course, the reason it's in February this year is because the convention center is closed for innovations in March. So it wasn't by choice that the show directors moved it earlier. And as with anything, you know, Transworld, you know, Scott, you've been going for over two decades, and you know it's there's a there's a routine. Just like IAPA, for those of our listeners that know IAPA, there's a routine, and people hate it when you change their routines. So I'd say it's like the feeling was that of it basically was, you know, when, when you see people and you're like, oh, how how are you? And it, like it's like it was such a 
vibe that everyone was grumpy to be there early, that that was kind of like what, you know, the way you commiserated with everybody was like, it's, and, and plus also it was 19 degrees and that is not fun. <laughs> so there's, there's the cold factor, there's the snow. And in terms of logistics, I, I'd say it's kind of like evenly split. Like there were a lot of vendors that basically if you're a large vendor and you have the facilities and you are not really, you, you know, you, you have a, a, a more, a larger supply chain if you're a large vendor. I think you were relatively okay. Like for example, Immortal Masks, they were ready to go Wednesday night before Thursday morning show opening. They were done. Their booth was set up. Everything was good. They were good. But they have a whole team there and, you know, they have a large factory process. But the thing about Transworld, which is very different from IAPA, uh, is that you get a lot of independent mom and pop designers and creators. And those firms were struggling because it's a month less that they have mm-hmm. to prepare to get stuff ready for the show. Now, on the flip side, it's a month extra that they have to produce and deliver. And here's the thing, we, as we all know, that, that buy from boutique people, you know, they, they'll fill up, right? So their orders will be done you know, for, for the season. And that's, um, so it gives them an extra month and hopefully it will ensure that all the product gets to people in time for their shows, which you know, sometimes happens with the smaller vendors. Um, but, and then the other, only other logistic thing I noticed is that, <laughs> you know, normally the morning of a trade show, it's ready to go. But at, when the doors opened on Thursday, there were still vendors who were not ready and they were like setting up their booth as people were walking in. And that's because the snow slowed down a lot of the people that drove because another thing that's similar to IAPA is the sheer size of some of these booths and displays and people are driving in U-Hauls full of physical props and things you can buy and take with you or one-off designs or whatever. And when it's snowy, you drive slower. There's, you know, so there's a lot of logistical. It was tough to get people in there to get set up. So it was um, the weather itself made everything challenging, but then also the time made it where the bigger people seemed to be fine, but the smaller ones were like, in sheer panic, you know, like when you, when you, and there's some of the vendors we know, you know, like Inferno Effects was, you know, I stopped by on Wednesday to see if I could get a pre-audio clip. And it was like, he looked at me and just one look, you know, <laughs> not at all ready. Don't talk to me. I have got and, to get this thing set up and I've got to get it set up now. Now it's funny. because Yeah. And you know, like the, the, the more toxic effects guys, I also stopped by Wednesday and they went to dinner and they're like, we're going to be here until 11, like probably midnight setting up the night before. And you could just see it was like 6, 6 PM and everything was laid out, but not on the displays. Like, I mean, it was, you know, it, it was, it was much more sheer panic at the last minute than normal. That's, that's interesting. I, you know, it's funny because I, I've had a booth at, uh, at Transworld and you've had a booth at Transworld and, um, I know that when I went, so I, I made the foolish mistake of, of going and having a booth and setting it up completely by myself. And, um, <laughs> and uh, I, I remembered absolutely everything I needed. I felt so proud of myself, except for one tiny little problem. I did not have a box cutter, so I couldn't cut the packing tape on all the stuff that I had put around everything that I had so carefully packed to take it there. Um, to this day, 
Thank you, Alan Hops, for just being an incredible human being and letting me borrow your box cutter. But uh, so I totally understand that mad rush to get stuff in. I'm I'm curious. I, I mean, I understand the we- I think the weather was probably more of a factor with that than it actually being a month earlier. Uh, but there has been, you know, there has been snow in, when it was in March too. I mean, it, it's it's St. Louis, Missouri. You know, um, so there there has been snow there. I think you know to your point. I think it's more a question of the breaking of tradition or the, uh, the, the, the mm-hmm. knocking over of timelines. Because if I were a mom-and-pop vendor, if I were a mom-and-pop um, mask maker or scenic provider or, or prop maker or whatever, I think I'd be thrilled to have the extra month to produce. Um, but that said, I've talked to a couple of people because, again, I wasn't there. Uh, But since I wasn't there, I have talked to several people and they said that many of the vendors that they had gone to had already, in essence, sold out or reserved out um, their product. Did you see that? You're nodding. Did you see that happen as well? Yeah. So even when we went around, so (laughs) my idea this year was to go around on Wednesday evening to try and get some of the interviews with people who are too busy to talk during the show. And uh, most of them, as I mentioned, said no, because we're not set up yet. Uh, but I did kind of, you know, get the vibe from some of them. And uh, Night Scream Studios, you know, the the wall mm-hmm. panel folks that received the award, the Oscar award last year for um, vendor excellence uh, and who made the, the pumpkin thing last year. They had a new mossy one this year and... You know, they said they expected, based on already the number of orders they got while setting up <laughs> from people who were other vendors who also own haunts, that they were going to their production would be full by Saturday morning, and that they wouldn't be able to fulfill anymore. Now they did say they were like, you know, they have a new uh, a new panel that is kind of like a fibrous, kind of like a um, a fur type of mm-hmm. thing. And they said, you know, those panels they can make because they have, it's, it's more like a fabric type of thing, but the, the foam ones that are molded and then that are painted and distressed, that's going to be, that would probably be sold out by Saturday. And there are plenty of people, even like little spider who, you know, they have, again, projects with long timelines. And so that was the general vibe is that people ex- people expected for some of those vendors to be done by halfway through the show, which means if you don't get in until Saturday to do your buying, you know, then you might have got caught some vendors who are already full. You know, and it's interesting because this has been a this has been a, a cyclical and I don't even know whether it's been cyclical there. It, it has been a very it has been a variable. Let's put it that way, a variable um, phenomenon, because I've been there. I remember years where. I would say absolutely go on the very last day as they're starting to tear stuff down because that way you can get um, the stuff they don't want to take back in the snow in their U-Haul, in their their rental truck, um, and you could get it for you know pennies on the dollar. But that sounds like those days are gone. I mean, this is like, you know, it, it sounds like they, they, uh, they got rid of everything. So why... Why is the demand so much greater this year? Are we? Is it the coming out of COVID? Is it the the fact that it's earlier and people are thinking ahead of time? I mean, let's let's think about this for a minute. These are manufacturing organizations that have their entire orders completed, not 
delivered, but their orders completed for their entire year. You know, these, these, most of these providers, they don't have a whole lot of uh, deliverables after, you know, the Halloween season, after, you know, the end of August, beginning of September. Um, so, mm. you know, uh, any idea as to why this year that seems to be the case? Because, again, there are years that it is and there are years that it isn't, and I have, a, I have no idea as to what the, the key factors are as to, as to making that happen. I really don't know. I want to say yet, we had some help this year reporting, and uh, one of the reporters that I assigned, I assigned the story of kind of going around and, and kind of talking to a dozen owners and asking them how they feel. And I think so I might get those insights later, but in terms of the insights from the vendors, I feel like as usual, it is bifurcated, right? You have, I, honestly, I think it's the popular ones that everyone mm-hmm. goes to, you know, I think they were the ones that kind of like were filling up, but then there's always, especially at this show versus a, a larger one like IAPA, there's always the new people that are first, first year, second year vendors. And then as you know, as well, Scott, the way the show floor is laid out, I want to say all of the sexy stuff is right at the, at the beginning. And then you get to the very back corners with the newer folks and the less sexy things. And everybody like doesn't, not everybody makes it all the way to the back corner, right? They get, you know, so I think those two things are at play. You have um, the sexy vendors, the the well-established sexy vendors seem to have kind of their stuff. And even, you'll even see stuff where Gorgalore downsized massively to, I think a 10 by 20. Seriously, they used to be like a whole row. mm Mm-hmm. Like and 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 kind of like take two islands right. basically, previously where they would be able to get you from both directions, and they downsize just because again their their orders you know are are kind of out out far enough where they don't really need you know that to sell that much at the show and but then you know you have plenty of new people you know the Brandy Beast and the Brutal Designs folks and there's plenty of new people who. And so I think it's good. I think it's one of those things where it balances itself out, where the, the you know, you have the older folks, like, sell out, fine. And then I, I'm hoping that's pushing people to, to try buying a one-off from a smaller person so that we can grow new talent. I'm hoping that's the case, but we won't know be, until we kind of talk yeah, about it. Yeah, I, I would think that would be the case. I mean, it's one of those situations where, you know, again, back in my day, back in the 1800s, no, back back in the early days or earlier days of the of the show, you know, I would go um, as a, a buyer in essence for for um, Bush Gardens, and we would rarely buy things at the show. We would get you know information. We would uh, um, look at the quality of the product. We would talk to the vendors, and then we would make our bids later. Um, this is this is amazing to me that that these vendors are sold out for the season at at, at Transworld and by February. So um, mm-hmm. a good a, it's, mm-hmm. to me again anecdotally that's a great litmus test for the industry. That's showing that there is money that's being spent and money that's being made in the yeah. haunt industry. So that's that's really cool. I think that's really, really cool. Now, um, you also briefly mentioned the the Oscars, which is uh, uh, the recognition by the Haunted Attraction Association of excellence within the industry. And um, 
I, I was lucky enough to be a, uh, uh, to have a cameo appearance because I've hosted them for several years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was lucky enough to have a, a cameo video appearance, um, which I had three different people send me photos of, which I thought was really sweet. And yeah. ba- But based on the photos, it looked like even that event was standing room only. I mean, that event looked absolutely it was. Packed. It was, yeah. So mm-hmm. it was standing room you, only, absolutely packed. And you, you were know. able to attend. And and uh, what any mm-hmm. any excitement, any surprises, any things that caught your eye as far as the Oscars go? I mean, I don't know whether it was specific awards mm-hmm. or you know lifetime achievement, which everybody always wants to know about, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, as the Hauntation Network, we were creating kind of the official recording of the Oscars. So we were set up with uh, two cameras and then tapped into the audio board and all that. Um, so it was a little, uh, so we didn't get to see it. It was a little, my focus was a little of divided course. between watching all that and whatnot, you know, right? It, but but um, I, I thought from an overall standpoint, those that have not seen the Oscars in a while would be pleasantly surprised. Uh, in fact, Patrick Konopowski, and Scott was uh not able to make it, you know, Patrick Konopowski was there to pass off the awards. And of course, Patrick is a previous president who was used to lead the Oscars. And he was kind of reminiscing with me about how, how, how really, you know, I think when we're looking at it, we're like, oh, this could be better, that could be better. But on the arc of things, he was commenting on how much more professional it has become and by extension, kind of the industry, where it seems like even though we're focused on our individual gripes, you know, kind of about Halloween, but on the arc of things, it has, it's showing how much the industry has gotten more professional. And uh, because there were video presentations, we could see trailers of the haunts, you know, there was music, everything was timed. It kept itself to an hour, which was, uh, you know, unusual, right? You know, and, and people came up, they had accepted speeches ready, you know, there was lighting, there was they had the little side panels to uplight the walls. We, could, we got a little ambient. So it was, it, it, it felt like an award ceremony for sure. And I would say I'm not really surprised by the people who won because, again, Vendor Excellence Awards went to Sinister Signs, Dead by Dawn, and Toxic Effects. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, some of these things are, you know, are, are never, it's like, you don't know about who won ahead of time. Then you hear who won and it's like, well, that makes right. sense. Right. Right. You know, uh, I, I kind of felt that way with everybody. Um, the one that I thought was interesting and I'm pulling it up. So the lifetime achievement went to John Burton, you know, who, yeah, I'm sure you've worked with John or at some point. Right? I've not actually worked with John, but I know John and, and John and I have, uh, John and I have hung out at um, multiple conventions together and and uh, attended seminars together and that sort of thing. But yeah, that's that that actually warms my heart. I'm glad to hear that. I I would have liked to have heard his uh, his acceptance speech. His ex- it, it was an interesting. It was short, and uh, basically it kind of focused on. Uh, you know, he mentioned that he was 64, and now he was you know how hard physically haunting is and how he's kind of worn out from, you know, just, you know, 64 years of building, but that he just wanted people to realize because, you know, every, every year the Oscars has an in memorandum in mm-hmm. memory. and he kind of was like, 
understand that we stand on the shoulders of giants in this industry and just the people that got us here, like what it was when I started is very different from where it is now. And that's because of the talent and the people that got us here. And he mentioned, you know, all the people that kind of inspired him were not even able to make it to the show because, you know, of, of they were even older and, you know, of, of whatnot. But, you know, so I thought that was, a, that was a kind of an interesting take on it. Kind of a, kind of, you know, he's basically, he's like trying to think of who to thank in this is fruit is pointless because there's still right. people because that's the way that the, well, and the nice thing is, so when I first met John, I first met John at the global Halloween convergence in 2000. So I met him over 20 years ago and, um, you know, he was an inspiration then to me and, and he's absolutely right. We do stand on the shoulders of giants and, and going back through the years, you know, I had the, the incredible pleasure of, of presenting the Lifetime Achievement Award to my dear friend, Robbie Lepre, who is unfortunately no longer with us. But, um, and, and then, you know, I received what I called the, the Junior Lifetime Achievement Award at one point in time, which was the, the, uh, one, of the, one of the board members' awards, which was presented to me by somebody who I completely look up to, you know. Um, so it, it was, it, we're, all, yeah. we're all, those of us who are truly committed to this industry are truly committed to each other and, uh, you know, truly committed to making it, to making each other better. Um, and that's what I love about the Oscars because I really do believe that by by looking at it, um, by looking at, at at the the excellence and the the award winners, it's not about the fact that they won the award. It's about the fact that these are people that we work with that are doing great things. And I think that was I think that's really cool yeah. about the Oscars and and kind of what I miss about not being there because that was always a good emotional high yeah. for me during the course of the trade show. And, you know, on that point, actually, that, that exactly what I was thinking. The only, you know, I thought all the awards were excellent. The one that stuck out to me the most, aside from Lifetime Achievement, is for the reason you just said. And it was given to the Warden's Widow, who is a character that creates TikToks in character. And it was so, it was so interesting just because... You know, it, it it was it was so kind of like out of left field, right? Where their and their reasoning for the award was because her TikToks like kind of explain the haunted house, haunted house industry in a to regular people in a professional, inspirational way, and also that that she was a woman and she was a woman scare actor sharing everything about the industry, not in a derogatory way, but in a how can we make this better? You know, and everything and and they played select pieces of kind of her videos and her message of there needs to, you know, her message of women, if you think you can't be a scare actor, you need to try. And her messages of being up there and saying like, like we all talk about, but explain it. Like, <laughs> you know, like if your kids have phobias, don't bring them into a haunted house to fix their phobias. Cause that's what counseling's for <laughs> and it's not going to work. And it's, it's hard for us as actors <laughs> because, you know, we don't want to, want to, you know, traumatize your kids and, you know, you shouldn't do it. Just all like basically all these things that we all talk about, but kind of making videos for the end consumer in character and out of character about them. And then kind of also advocating for more diversity in the haunted industry. And she's young. I mean, very young and very, you know, not kind of like you said, like atypical for these awards, because generally it's people that have been doing stuff for sure. a long time and whatever. But I thought it and I thought their reasoning was what made it 
so impressive of a award. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good a really good point. I and I I can't um, I can't reinforce enough how important it is that uh, we we do recognize the fact that there are very few female haunters. There is very little diversity in the haunt community. So to be able to um, to be able to include that, to be able to recognize it, to be able to make it uh, bring it to the forefront with the awards, I think is great. I think that's really, really cool. I think that's, uh, yeah, I'm happy. I'm sad I wasn't there. And, and, and hopefully Pat didn't tell any offensive jokes because I think that's why I got the gig years ago. But uh, so that aside, that aside, the other element, of course, that always happens at, uh, at, at Transworld and that I was honestly supposed to be a part of this, uh, this year is the education side. And um, this, gets, yeah. this gets split amongst, because it is multiple shows that are really co-located. They're all located in the same place. And um, sometimes I teach Christmas, sometimes I teach Halloween. Um, were there any, was there anything about the, the educational programming or the educational layout that you noticed that was unique or different this year? Or was it the, the, same, the same level of, of, of excellence or just some of the same key players? Because quite honestly there's some heavy hitters who when they present they uh they they draw a crowd you know i know that that for example universal had universal studios had some some representation there in the mm-hmm. education side this year uh so i didn't attend any of the education for a mix of reasons and i think mainly it's because transworld doesn't record any of the education because you know they kind of believe it needs to be done in person and even the chaos certification, you know, like the safety side, the CPR training, and there's a lot of stuff that, you know, needs to be hands-on or done in person. So because of that reason, press is not kind of comped in because they don't need, they, they kind of don't need that. So I didn't have an education pass. Um, so I can't comment on that. Um, when I prepared the kind of our recommended show schedule, you know, when we, we sent out kind of what we thought were the best, the, the, the most important classes uh, in our, in our newsletter for, for the network. And to me that, that was the, some of the, the trend one, it was a state of the industry, which is open to everybody, which we were mm-hmm. able to attend, but it was state of the industry and it was the horror nights uh, and, and those kind of big ones that were big trend topics. And then, you know, Ted Doherty and John Cook were doing a class. I mean, so there were those things, but specific content I can't comment on. Um, the one that I can comment on is the state of the industry because that was open. And again, as the network, we were the official uh, recorders of that, the uh, the official documenters for that. And again, it was tighter this year. It was less uh, looking at slides and more like, if you want to know the three-year plan, there's a recording out there. It's on the website. Check it out. We're going to focus on Q&A. And they had gotten questions ahead of time from people and then they went through and it kind of had prepared who was going to answer which question. And and so it was, they got through much more discussion and much more uh, talking than, than normal. Um, And I think the biggest themes from that were how do we make the industry more professional, which, you know, was, was kind of was, was interesting to me, like uh, just the angles of professionalism and why that's important. And, and kind of just uh, kind of like in a little bit of an open call, right? If you have idea, you know, if you want to help do this or help do that, or just gonna make it more professional. Um, and then uh, also a little bit about the the pathway, 
you know, really looking at how do we get people from home haunting up into doing professional haunts? And then, you know, how do we make the, the professional side kind of more recognized so that we can get larger deals and also all the little things, all the trickle down effects. Like we can, if we have a more professional association with more professional training that helps us convince cities to allow haunts in their areas, you know, there's, so I think that that part of it was interesting. Um, that, that was my well, and way. and uh, state of the industry was and correct me if I'm wrong was was led by and facilitated by haunted attraction the haunted attraction association yes yeah it's correct. that so HAA uh, the haunted attraction association is one of those things and I and people always say Scott you just sound like so much of a commercial but I truly believe this they are such an advocacy group. Um, for the industry, and their their current their current board is continuing, in my opinion, to kind of put their money where their mouth is. They're starting to, um, and it's it's you know it it takes a long time to turn an aircraft carrier. It's a big industry. It's a big organization, but mm-hmm. but they are making strides, you know, visually and things like improving the quality of the Oscars, as you mentioned, Philip, uh, talking about. The, the making the industry more professional, they are really making great strides in that direction and and kudos because I know this is really, really hard work. And I know that, you know, we're changing, trying to change the mentality of an industry to let's get together and, you know, sorry, I, it has a perception in the past of let's get together, get drunk, slap some, some stuff together, put blood on things and go out and scare the crap out of people. Which is all kind of part of the industry, but I love the fact that that they are focusing more and more on how do we take that and then elevate it and then take it to the next level and take it to the next level. Because, you know, I've been lucky enough to work on, I, I, don't, I don't do a whole lot with independent haunts anymore. Um, I do a couple of charity haunts. I have one independent haunt that's a client now, but the rest of my stuff is primarily either a theme park or... Um, you know, family Halloween events for educational facilities, that sort of thing. So uh, I, I, I never, but I never want to lose sight of the fact that when we very first started to do research for Hello Scream uh, 20 some years ago, uh, the first people we went to were independent haunters and home haunters because they knew how to do really cool things with really small budgets. So I love the fact that uh, the industry is getting a chance to kind of pay back and support that with the, the hopes of, of elevating the whole the whole industry into uh, something that is more professional, better recognized, making it easier for cities and towns to allow haunts to come in and be safe and revenue generating and and create additional jobs. Mm-hmm. So, wait, yes, uh, but yes, the show floor we haven't talked about yet, and I think that we will you know, get a lot of hate mail if we don't. So I just want to say the biggest thing I noticed with the show floor as we wrap up here is that in that same vein that you just talked about, I have noticed that there's a little bit of a evolution or like a merging. And it's not, this isn't a big thing. This is more like I noticed trickles, right? I noticed that for the first time I've ever seen, there there's a silicon mask maker that has made a cheeseburger silicone mask that is not scary at all and is more meant as like a, a fun type of, you could have your guests try to eat the scare actor, kind of an inverse type of relationship. Um, and then Alan Hops over at Still Be Studios, he has a line of like nature 
scary-ish costumes. Like he has a mushroom man. He has a, a evil garden gnome. He has a, a bee queen, you know, a queen bee who has a honeycomb, who's wearing a honeycomb. So there's lots of like not blood and gore, like you were saying, and, and kind of just this weird, this trickling expansion of, you know, you can see it. And I even notice on the Christmas side, which is co-located, the trade shows are attached, uh, there the Chinese lantern folks that mm-hmm. do all of the mm-hmm. Chinese lantern displays for zoos, they had a Medusa that they had at their booth. So they had a Santa and they had a Medusa next to each other. And I just thought, ah, we're infecting Christmas. <laughs> well, it's funny because, again, I, I've said it for years, I think that, that Halloween events are the gateway drug to, uh, to seasonal events in general. They're the easiest ones to do. They're the first ones most organizations dip their toe into. And uh, once you do it, you get... You get sort of caught up in the fact that we can make extra money by doing seasonal stuff and we can bring people back uh, multiple times throughout the course of the year. Well, uh, we will be back next week, actually. Um, Philip, thank you so much for giving me my own little dose of Transworld. And I hope uh, I hope you as our listeners, uh, if you were there, I hope you, you uh, were able to relive some memories. And if you weren't there, uh, I hope you got your own little chance to experience it just like I did. Uh, on behalf of Philip Hernandez from the Haunted Attraction Network and Gantam Lighting and myself, Scott Swenson from Scott Swenson Creative Development, this is Green Tag Theme Park in 30, and we will see you next week. Today's episode was produced and edited by me, Philip Hernandez, with post-production by David Swope. Support for this episode comes from Gantam Lighting and Controls. See what you're missing with a free demo. Sign up at gantam.com demo. We release a free weekly industry newsletter. Sign up on our website or at the link in our show notes. The Haunted Attraction Network team includes Daryl Plunkey, Emily Louise Rua, Megan Spells, Gavin Burns, and Maximus Bryant. Our partner stations include A Scott in the Dark, Scare Track, The Scare Factor, and Hauntopic Radio. Finally, please, please, please rate and subscribe to our show wherever you're listening. And until next time, haunters, stay scary. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production.